Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Friday, August 6th, according to my Mac. Um, I'm Carter, and I'm joined by the lovely traitor to social justice, Carrie Smith. <laughs> That's a new title. <laughs> I like that one. Hello, Carter. <laughs> you are you are a traitor. How could you? <laughs> I need to do, uh, you know how those apology videos are very popular? I should do an yeah. apology video for everything I did while I was in social justice. <laughs> oh, not to them for betraying them. I no. To everyone else. This this whole this whole unsafe space, all the stuff we do on unsafe space is is your apology. Sort of. It's like a bit long, very long <laughs> penance. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. It's your uh it's like you were sentenced to prison and this is your hard labor. Yeah. Now you have to fight against it. Uh. Anyway, um, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Uh, Susan hates it when you press the subscribe button, so piss her off and go uh, go caress that subscribe button. Also, um, we have book club coming up for yes. anybody who has not joined us before. If you want to join this month, we're doing nonfiction uh, Anarchist Handbook with by Michael Malice, which is a collection of essays, and that's going to be on August 15th. It's free to join and participate. You can be on camera or you can be in the chat. And just go to unsafespace.com or the book club page to find out more info. And then we've got our first ever unsafe space retreat in Texas. It's this month. It's August 20th through the 22nd. And there are still some day passes available. If you go to the website, unsafespace.com, you can find out info uh, on how to get those. I think we're sold out of rooms. but I think so. I'm going to email everyone who has already signed up will get an email by the end of the weekend. If not today, it'll be this weekend so um yeah if you don't get one by monday i guess you can bug us um what else carrie anything else we need any other procedural things we need to do before we introduce that's it i'm excited about today's two intellects who i greatly respect and i don't think they know each other so this will be fun to introduce them they just met right before the show and we've been wanting to have them on together so uh first we'll introduce uh dr michael rechtenwald uh, Dr. Rechtenwald, you will recognize from uh, his prolific books, but also his Twitter profile, the anti-PC prof. Uh, I think he's been banned from Twitter lots of times now, though. Um, yeah. Welcome. Thank Tell you. people how they can find you and a little bit about your background. Uh, you can find me on uh, michaelrechtenwald.com and Twitter at the anti-PC prof. Uh, my background is... Uh, that I was, uh, you know, a professor at NYU for 11 years, and before that at Duke and Carnegie Mellon and Case Western Reserve universities, and uh, uh, you know, I was a avid leftist and Marxist, you know, and uh, so you're uh, also a traitor now. Oh yeah, I've recently converted. You know, it's not so recent. I guess this is like three, four years now. Uh, Let's put it this way. I was a Marxist in October of 2016, and I voted for Trump in November. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, whatever that entails, I really don't care. It was mostly a vote of spite at the time. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah. Uh, and I've been writing a lot, uh, several books uh, since I left NYU, four books, uh, and uh, Thought Criminal being the last one. And before that, uh, I think it was Google Archipelago. No, Beyond Woke. And then Google Archipelago and Springtime for Snowflakes. Yep. Yep. 
um, all of which are awesome, by the way. Um, and let's introduce our other guest, uh, David Raboy. David, tell everyone your background and how they can find you. I don't think you're banned from Twitter right now. Sure. No. Uh, God forbid. Um, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to uh, be with you guys. Um, I've been in the kind of political consulting space for um, for many years now, uh, mostly focused on counterterrorism. Um, I used to live in New York, actually, not, not far from NYU, um, when I was a jazz musician back, um, you know, a couple lifetimes ago, it feels like, in uh, in the late 90s and uh, and. Uh, right around the time of 9-11 and um, I've always been on the right so I haven't made a, a, a you know a conversion really uh, other than the fact that I was a kind of garden variety um, you know you could describe uh, you know neoconservative for um, for a while um, until uh, really until 20 2015 2016 I started to feel like you know th there are things in the orthodoxy that require questioning so that's where um uh that's where this has kind of led me and uh i'm now a senior fellow at the claremont institute which is uh one of the bastions of the uh of the right the new right that is under attack um we're not new but uh but we are sort of part of this particular trend away from uh from the old orthodoxy of you know what, what used to be um, or what is still called Conservative Inc. Mm -hmm. And um, in addition to that, uh, I've got a substack called Late Republic Nonsense, where I write about politics and also cultural things. I mean, I wanted a place music to write. Yeah, I wanted a place to write about the things that that I loved. And um, so far, it's been good. We just um, I just put up a video of, uh, of uh, my friend Michael Anton um, cooking a lamb demi glaze. Uh, and it, which takes the whole heck of a long time um and and i thought it was a fun video he, he just kind of took it while he was um cooking and and you know sort of talking about the history of uh the history of uh french cuisine and 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 you know different things like that and you know so i wanted to present something that's not entirely political but i believe that aesthetics are political and we can get into that later yeah, yeah. actually yeah can we are you the person i think it was you recently i saw someone on your timeline criticizing you for not talking about whatever subject they wanted you to talk about today that's very very important because you posted something about music right and was that your page right yeah yeah <laughs> i i have that bothers me to no end because it sort of assumes that there's no room for us to be human beings that we have yeah. to constantly be fighting a culture war which is impossible it's exhausting you can't do that everybody wants a one-trick pony um I I, uh, I got scolded for veering off of the criticism of academia and into other things. Like I was told that's not my lane, and I said, "Listen, <laughs> right. you got me wrong. I'm the person that doesn't get told, doesn't do what he's told to do as far as what I say. Right. I'll say what I want, and I'll talk about what I want. That's the whole problem. That I that got me. That was the whole problem at NYU. So, and you yeah. define your lane." You know, nobody yeah. defines the nobody defines your lane for you, especially when you're in this field. Um, you know, or or you know, if if they're not paying you, they don't, <laughs> they don't get to define your lane. That's right. <laughs> Even those that do pay me are not defining my sure. lane. 
Carter defined mm. my lane this morning, so I don't know. Okay. I, I don't think anyone could ever define your lane. And if, if your husband <laughs> figures out a way to do that, please have him contact me. And, uh, That's right. You're a newlywed. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, Michael. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I was excited to have you both here today because, uh, and, and I actually think it's better this week than last week because of stuff that's happened in the news this week and in, and it's caused me to have, I guess, think more in that big picture view about where things are headed. And I wanted to get both of your takes on this. And I know Carter's probably knows what I'm gonna talk about, but the eviction moratorium, can we start there? That somehow that hit me psychologically more than the vaccine passports, I think because I wasn't I wasn't prepared for it. I knew the vaccine passports were likely coming. I'm looking at what's happening in other countries and the fact that they're going to start forcing people to show proof of vaccine to get into restaurants and grocery stores, et cetera, in, in some cities. Um, but the eviction moratorium, reading more about that just blew my mind. And the possibilities seem that, like there's some pretty dark potential outcomes from that. So can you guys share, I guess, some of your thoughts on where we're headed and what do you think about the eviction moratorium? Is it as bad as I think well, it is? I can start if you want, David. Uh, sure, sure. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, well, it's a serious violation of property rights, first of all. Um, and uh, obviously a step towards socialism, another step. And furthermore, um, it's really going to result in a mass land buy-up, buy actually, this is going to result in like BlackRock Inc. and others coming in, swooping up these properties. So it's more monopolization, more consolidation of wealth, uh, less private property for the middling ranks. This is effectively what's been going on in general is they're gutting everybody, but the uh, basically the upper echelon, the, the elite uh, producers and owners and uh, getting the middle class uh, to the extent that they can so that uh, we have basically a two-tiered system uh, of uh, you know UBI on the bottom and, uh, and uh, monopolies on top. Yeah, it's another version of the transfer of wealth to companies like Amazon, but this time it's in the real estate market, basically. Yeah. Can you just describe for people why that is? Because I'm not sure that's obvious to everyone. Me? Or David. Well, I could, I could do it if you'd like, but well, whoever, David, you brought it up. No, no, I mean, what, what I was going to say is that I, I also lived in San Francisco, and uh, and this is a very similar dynamic to, to what has happened there or what has been, you know, really um, status quo there for quite a long time, which is that individual small-time la uh, landlords, like people who, you know, they live in, they, they own two properties, one they live in and the other one that they rent out. Um, they get screwed all the time because it, uh, the, the city of San Francisco makes it almost impossible to evict someone. And look, there are a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people out there who um, are utter deadbeats, who would think nothing of living in a, a you know, and uh, not paying rent on an apartment that they're living in, but who are very good at looking um, at looking at the loopholes and figuring out the legal system in order to make this possible. You would be amazed. They have endless creativity and endless uh, focus for this particular, um, you know, for this particular endeavor. And, um, and to be a landlord in, in San Francisco or, or, uh, or a place like that was crazy. It was insane. People were getting out of the business as, uh, you know, as quickly as possible. 
Were you um, in? Were you a landlord in San Francisco? I was not. No, no, no. I was not. I was actually paying rent in San Francisco. I'm uh, asking because you know, years ago, me. we wanted to do a rental property. I was living in San Francisco in in the city proper, and we wanted to do do a rental property, and we ended up buying a property uh, actually in Round Rock, Texas, Carrie, hmm. uh, because it was easier to remotely manage a rental property in a state that supported landlord rights than it was to to have to deal with the fear of what San Francisco might do um, if we, you know, if something went wrong. Right. Uh, which is, says a lot, right? That that's, that's pretty ridiculous that it's easier to manage something in Texas from California. Sure, no, it's, of it's course. lower risk. And, and as you said, what happens is the larger, um, you know, the larger landlords, the, the, uh, the, 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 the big companies, um, they can afford, I mean, number one is they can afford to absorb the losses. Um, and number two, which is the big number two, is that um, these guys are not, these guys are, the, the big one, the big boys are not being affected by these, uh, these particular, um, you know, these particular changes. And um, so there are a couple things. I mean, I wanted to, to ask Carrie, just to throw it back to you. What was it that made this thing especially visceral for you? Because I can think of a couple different aspects of this that to me are insane and worrying and like another step down the road. Um, yeah. But I wanted to know for you, what was it? Like what made this worse than um, uh, well, something else? Because... It occurs to me that, uh, you know, the the World Economic Forum marketing that we've seen, the propaganda we've seen about the year 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And it seems that there's this effort to push us towards this this place where we're all just sharecroppers. We're all some kind of farm animals and that any uh, small property owners or like you said, individual like small time landlords are pushed out. And I saw a tweet by Dana Loesch, I think it was who said you know something to the effect of this isn't about helping people they're saying this oh this is about helping people who can't afford their rent she said if it's about helping people then they're not doing anything to help people with their mortgage payments they're not mm -hmm. doing anything like property owners aren't getting any help there's they're not doing anything about property taxes i know this to be true as someone who um there's been no help on my property taxes or on my mortgage payments i mean all they did was give me a grace period which means I still owe all the money. They just don't, I don't incur any late uh, fees for three months, but it's not a reduction or it's not, you know, you don't have to pay this. So, so they're just specifically, it seems to me, they're trying to squeeze everyone out of that middle-class area or anyone who owns, owns property to put us all into this rent class, like where everybody's got to be renting. And I know that sounds nefarious. And for people who I think of old friends of mine who are still plugged into the machine, when I talk about stuff like this, I know they think it's tinfoil hat and conspiracy theory and what have you, but it's like, but can't you look at what they've, on the one hand, you've got them openly saying, we want you all to, you're not gonna own anything. We want you to be happy with that. And then they're pushing policies like this under the guise of helping people that on its face, it's, it's, not, it's just towards, it's not helping the property owners. What do you think is going to happen? And my dad was here this week and my dad owns a couple of small, he's one of those small time landlords in South Carolina. And fortunately he's got people who've been paying, but he knows lots of people who have tenants who've not been paying. I know people who that's their only source of income is that are their rental properties and their tenants have not been paying. So what kind of position are they in? From what I understand it, if they evict, try to evict, they're going to get fined $150,000. That's crazy. 
I, I don't, I don't know. Which, <laughs> which is, which is like the bailouts. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, which is more than their rent. Yeah. You know, more than, more, more than the rent that, that they're owed. Yeah. Look, I mean, anybody who's doing that these days. So what's, so what's going to happen? I mean, what, what, uh, you know, what, what was happening here is basically like, um, you know, like with forcing the banks to underwrite mortgages to people who are, uh, you know, who they know are going to be derelict. And at some point, look, at some point, you know, what does Thomas Sowell say? What does economics tell you? Economics tells you that at some point somebody pays. And it's going to be, um, you know, it, it's uh, at some point somebody pays and then the social engineering instinct of the left is going to kick in and they're going to say, well, no, we need to put a Band-Aid on top of that in order to fix, you know, in order to fix where the, the, the stream of water is flowing in you know, in, in, in one particular direction caused by the problem that we created yes. in the first place. So they're yes. going to say, so they're going to come back and they're going to say, well, you know, you guys aren't renting to a lot of lower income folks. So guess what? You're going to have to rent to some mm -hmm. lower income folks. And this is how, you know, this is how property rights gets, um, uh, you know, gets, gets destroyed for, for the, middle class which which i mean at the end of the day that's what um i mean this is this is something that had a lot to do with my particular uh like apostasy from from uh you know let's, let's say mainstream conservative um opinion because i just said wait a minute um these these rules that we've got or or the principles that we claim to uh to follow are principles that are um that are you know, here in order, we love them because they sustain our country, and they sustain the they they sustain the people. And once you get to the point where your um, your principles actually are sort of sideways, you know, they're 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 um, they're irrelevant to the way people. And when I say people, like let's say the the middle class, which is which is absolutely vital. Um, you know, it's really the most important thing, the most important part of our society. Um, once you stop caring about that and you set up all these hurdles um, from, uh, you know, hurdles preventing these people from having good lives and, and you know, owning a home and, um, and, 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 and putting together some wealth and being able to take care of their kids and, and, uh, and you know, all, the, all of these things. I mean, once, once the government makes that, impossible or once once big business makes that impossible it's the responsibility of government to step in and say hang on a second we're just going to create a, a you know a, a little space we're not going to yes. allow these um uh we're not going to allow the, the the companies to go and 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 take it all because they will take it all and you know the the reason why i mean i this is a thing that pissed me off too but to be honest with you i'm not surprised at the left at all, I'm not surprised that these guys are pushing for it. What made me, what what incensed me more than anything, was the fact that the GOP had no response. You know, the 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 mainstream organs of conservatism in America had no response. They were like, God, damn it, man. Well, that's it. Well, this is what hey, happens with socialism know? every time. Socialism always targets the petty bourgeoisie, if you will. That's right. the first target. And what is socialism if not monopoly? So anything that tends towards monopolization is actually the same. It's the same direction as socialism. And this is why you see the left 
actually preferring monopolies over small business. They hate small business and they have seemingly no problem with monopolies. In fact, they, 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 they write about this. I saw it in the Jacobin there. They said, you know, small business is overrated. We really, really, you know, it's the big businesses that are better for us, the monopolies, because they pay better and they, they regard uh, wages, uh, they protect uh, wages and they pay better benefits. So they've always attempted to destroy the petty bourgeoisie. And this is any tendency towards monopolization is a tendency towards socialism. I call it corporate socialism because it's corporate and the left can't understand this at all because they don't they don't understand that socialism is monopoly. It's monopoly by the state. It's a singular monopoly. But anything that tends towards that is also socialist. And corporate socialism is just a different body of people controlling the means of production and the goods uh, in a monopoly fashion. So you have corporate oligarchs on top and you have actually existing socialism on the ground. This is the object. I've been writing about this for some time. I mean, I, as someone who's not conservative, I, I, I just I look at this as kind of a typical conservative, a problem with conservatism, which is it hasn't been, at least in my lifetime, it hasn't been very good on principle of anything. Um, and so whenever the left attacks or they have a proposal, the conservatives generally aren't very good at having principled arguments. They, they tend to just compromise. And the, the left is like, how about some hemlock? And the conservatives are like, well, how about we dilute it a bit? Okay, like that's, that's still hemlock, right? It's still not, it's still not good. Um, and you know, I, when I look at this, I, Individual like, property rights are a corollary to individual rights philosophically. So you can't actually have you can't have individual rights without property rights. You can't right. you can't destroy property rights and have any semblance of individual rights left. And the conservatives should be saying that they should be saying, "Hey, uh, property rights are a corollary to individual rights. Individual rights are uh, foundational for our civilization. You can't go violating them." Um, That's why the uh, Miesian libertarian campus is my camp because they do stand on these principles and that is that there are no rights without property rights the first property being in oneself without that right you're a slave and this is effectively the direction we're headed i mean we're in full throttle i think uh towards towards this this is this is what occurred to me is that it's sort of I, I didn't learn I didn't learn this until recently, which is embarrassing, but I never really started I never really thought about what rights mean until I started doing this podcast with Carter. And I went to two great schools. I went to a science and math high school. I went to Duke University. I don't know if I was there at the same time as you, Michael. <laughs> but um but I just never really thought about what like what is a right? I didn't until recently and how it's different from a privilege and, and when I would hear things like healthcare is a right when I was younger, I would just say yes, it should be. It should be sort of a moral question of, well, do you think that people should not have to pay for health care? Yeah, that'd be swell, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, that's... So, and, and they just get people to go along with it without thinking about it that way. I mean, I did. And so I think that there's this very concerted effort on the, to make us think of the popul populace at large, to think of, to think of things that are privileges that somebody, pay, somebody right. pays for as rights. And well, so, and vice versa. Yeah. Vice versa, they're trying to make us believe that our rights are privileges. That's the whole function yes. of wokeness, in my opinion, is to make you believe that your rights are, are privileges that can be rescinded. Hmm. That that's the that's the problem with that figuration, and that's 
That's what I think the broad function of wokeness is about. It's about making people feel like they don't have rights, that everything they have has been a privilege and therefore it can be and should be revoked. Yep. The other thing that bothered me about the, I thought you guys were going to bring this up, but I, the other thing that bothered me about the, the moratorium was that the Supreme, so this is coming from, just to be clear in case people haven't been paying attention, <laughs> this is coming from the CDC, Yes. right? This is the CDC. Centers for Disease Control. It's their moratorium on rental, like evictions. It it absolutely makes no sense. It was just struck down by the Supreme Court. And then like, what was it, the next day or two days later, they're like, uh, we think we've, we, we, found, we found some justification for it. And Biden pretty blatantly was like, well, yeah, it might get struck down. And, and basically almost all constitutional scholars that I've spoken to have said it's unconstitutional. But I'm going to do it anyway. We're just going to, you know, we're going to give it a shot. Yeah, because it's, he doesn't uh, give a damn. It's pretty because disgusting. This is, because, look, I mean, this is the late republic. It's what you can get away with. And yes. he, knows that, that he knows that he will not be held to account by the media. And if he doesn't get held to account by the media, he will not get held account. He will, um, his supporters or Democrat voters will not hold him to account. And um, and this is um, this is a political dynamic that uh, that we've been in for some time, which is that nothing else matters. If you've got your supporters behind you, nothing else matters. Yep, it's and, what you can get away with. I love yeah. that phrase you just said. That's what it is. It's it's as if yeah, look, nothing matters. There's no up is down, down is up. There's no rule of law. It it feels very unsettling. It feels very chaotic, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's that made me feel, uh, and I, like I said, I guess I knew I'd, I'd already been watching what was happening in other countries. And I, I knew they're probably going to do these vaccine mandates, which are awful, but I could, I, I didn't see this property, this assault on mm. property rights. And at the same time, they're saying, you've got representatives like Ted Lieu saying that we don't have a right to breathe. And, you know, and, and Don Lemon going on saying, if you don't have a vaccine, you shouldn't be able to go to stores or buy food or go to work. So things that are actual rights, I see people are starting to think of those things as those aren't rights. Those are, we have to get permission right. to do those, to breathe, to work, to, right. to buy food. We, we need to get permission from our owners for those things. This is, this is how then, it always feels in socialism. Yeah. It's very unsettling. <laughs> well, look, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's done a good thing or for me or a bad thing. But, but um, I mean, I'm, you know, I always think about the worst possible thing that they can do. Um, and, and then I realize that people like Ted Lieu and Chuck Schumer, and all of these people that we think of, I mean, Ted Lieu, we don't, we think he's, you know, he's on the left. But let's say, let's say a, a, a Schumer or a Pelosi, someone who is you know, quote unquote, in the middle of the Democratic Party, all of them would enthusiastically support the worst, most punitive, horrible thing that you can imagine. Um, this is true. So maybe that's why I, I, I heard about this, uh, you know, the, 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 the rent thing. And then it was coming from the CDC, which is a great point that, you know, it's, it's sort of the cherry on top when it comes to the absurdity of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to have like the National Park Service come out and, and and say that you know oh yeah by by the way you know you need to wear your masks by law national park service says well okay i right. guess they're serious people you know let's go um so so i'm no i'm no longer surprised at what they throw at us yeah. um 
it's just a matter like it's just it's I, I i am not surprised because honestly you see it in their eyes i don't want to come off like i'm crazy but like they want you dead i'm sorry that's right they want you dead they do you know and they're, they're going to tax our driving by the mile that's that was uh part of the legislation uh that that may be passed uh they'll Why they'll tax us for every mile that we drive uh so really this is they're going to tax and you know abrogate property rights all the way to full socialism uh, i'm afraid that's really and unless it's you know unless it's terminated uh and then they'll do it through the they'll do things through the back door too. For example, why are they taxing you by the mile? They're taxing you by the mile because they don't want you to drive. That's right. Yes. And if they don't, you know, and and uh, it's really hard to get people who have cars to not want to drive. So we're going to need to get you to not have a car. So <laughs> how do you do that? You go and you um, you know you you make uh, you know you you shut down production at car plants you know, making cars very expensive. I mean, I was speaking to a friend who works in this business, who works in like auto loans. And this is what he told me. He was, he was just like, I, I was talking about uh, maybe, maybe, you know, trading in my car. And he's like, don't do it because you're going to pay more for something, you know, worse than your car now. Uh, because they, they, they just don't have supply and the prices they are going. Don't. Yeah. They don't have supply right now. Right. It, the, one thing I think that's happened is because of these lockdowns and people aren't traveling abroad for family vacations. And so you're seeing a lot more people are, are buying or renting, leasing these 15 passenger vans. And I have a friend who's been trying to buy several of these. And at one point he's like, look, there are only 13 used ones for sale in the whole country. I have to fly around to them <laughs> because people buy them up as soon as they go. And he, and he flew to one state to buy one. And there were other people there from other states to look at that van, you know, and people are buying up these vans so they can at least travel, get out, have a family vacation. And so I have not heard this, Michael, but it, okay, they've already limited our travel in one regard. We're not traveling overseas as much. And now it's like, okay, well, you can also, we don't want you going across the country. Like, be better if you just stay at home, afraid, and don't interact with people. Or you can take a plane, and you can, you know, and you can fly someplace for for you know a, a, a ridiculous amount of money. And if you want to take your kids, it's it's you know it can be you know prohibitively expensive. And then um, you know, and then where you stay, you stay in an Airbnb, which is what happens to uh, a lot of the houses that um, you know that are gobbled up by big companies. Right. I mean, the prices, for example, where I live, um, it's going to be very difficult. And this is one of the things that I was dreading. I mean, I'm, I moved here two years ago, two and a half years ago to, to Miami Beach. And uh, I've just seen the prices skyrocket, skyrocket to the point where, you know, you laugh when you see the, the price tag on, uh, on properties. I mean, you, yeah. you just laugh. And you know that it was that it's that it's twice what it was only you know three years ago four years ago, and um, you know and they're making it they're making it prohibitively expensive and they're doing this. I mean, you mentioned BlackRock coming in and swooping in and buying all these all these 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 housing stocks. They're not building single family homes; they're building apartments in Miami. Mm -hmm. And um, look, it's it's just um, you know they. 
they realized that I think what happened was they realized that you don't necessarily need a Soviet five-year plan <laughs> and a command economy in order to get what you want. You need to create you need to create two things. One is like the the uh, the ability for um, governments and large companies to um, you know to sort of bank shot their policies without mandating them outright without you know sort of full control number one and number two is they've gotten uh, the the c-suite class of people who run the show so ideologically um, you know on the same page through the media and through universities and all this stuff that they don't even need to really convince somebody to just you know to to you know to say you know live in the pod eat the bugs own nothing yeah. you'll be happy blah blah, blah. Yes. The, the the social thing is the is what sets that table and all they have to do is they just have to wait for you know like uh, uh i mean this is this is the funny thing it's like uh you know you talk about the great reset and and the the german guy what's his name who wrote the book klaus you know whatever schwab, schwab yeah so like klaus schwab isn't giving any orders he's not telling anybody this is what you must do um but people you know people who are crazy and rich look at that and they say wow that's pretty good i'm going yeah. to use i'm going to use whatever influence i have towards an agenda that looks like that and um look i mean they've they this is this is the modern equivalent of the old soviet five-year plan i mean they have and these it's based ESG on scores too with the esg scores Yep. Uh, they're funneling all kinds of money, investment money, to the environmentally, socially, and governmentally sanctioned companies, and starving off the others. This, you know, and that's where the WEF comes comes into play. They have all these corporate players and massive asset managers conscripted onto this agenda, who then affect it. So. Uh, the WEF puts out the talking points, and then these corporate masters and the intelligence agencies basically uh, act on them. So, you know, the ESG score is is a way of starving other people out of capital, starving you, other producers. Can you define what ESG scores are? My husband was talking about this with me recently, but for anybody who may not be aware. It's called, it's the environmental, social and governance score that is an index on the stock exchanges now. Hmm. And BlackRock Inc. in particular, and other invest made, and BlackRock Inc. is the biggest asset manager in the world. They're saying, you know, Larry Fink put out a, a memo to all the CEOs that he could find, you know, of the most enormous corporations and said, look, if you don't meet the index, you're not gonna get the funds that we're investing. And you will not receive the funds and therefore, you're not going to have the investments to, to, you know, to maintain your capital and to maintain your companies and to grow them. So the ESG scores and environmental, of course, is in terms of uh, how well they're sustainable, quote unquote. Social is the social. It's a social credit score for corporations. They're, it's a social justice score, in effect. How woke are they? And then governance, how well do they cooperate with governments? How well are they uh, basically governed? And what is the kind of interlocking collusion that they have with the state? Are they state sanctioned players? This is how they're basically, you know, winnowing out all the competition and getting rid of everybody but these woke corporations. 
you know. This is why, this is why, just to remind people, I, this is why philosophy matters, because I think what's happened here is you've got entire generations of people to accept bad philosophic premises. And once you do that, that then you don't need the five-year plan. You don't need Mao or Stalin to come along and lay it out. All you need to do is put forth the ideas. You need to have Klaus Schwab write a book and some people say some things. And you're all of your educated classes and your leaders are looking at it and they've already bought into these really bad premises. And so you can kind of predict how those will be applied once you say, hey, what about this? What about eating bugs and living in pods? And like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's let's do that. And you can you can build all of it without ever having to really do the kind of stereotypical uh, heavy handed political moves that you see from, you know, a communist. Right. I mean, for, just to just to inject a white pill moment here, um, which is which is that thankfully more people than ever now realize that um, that most of the shit that they hear in the mainstream media, uh, which is really the engine of all this, it's the mainstream media and 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 uh, and, and and sort of uh, lefty social media. Uh, most of the people out there, not most of them, but many, many millions realize that this is all a scam and, mm-hmm. and, and it's, and, and, and the, the entire, you know, edifice is corrupt. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and I think that's a, that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing because they're starting to realize now that it creeps into every single issue. I mean, just last night, all, all through last week, uh, Tucker Carlson was, um, uh, was in Budapest in Hungary, and last night he did a, a, a great short interview with uh, their president, Viktor Orban. And in the lead up to that interview, the mainstream folks, the neo-libs and the neocons, who are you know who let's say who used to be the taste the the blue the blue church tastemakers, if you will, of um, uh, of of you know American thought. They lost their freaking minds, and they lost it in an insane way. And all of these people believe things that are not true. They have, um, they have like thought goblins that mm. run around in their minds, and um, uh, you know, and it, you sort of immediately, uh, immediately affix scary labels to people who they don't like. And and the truth of the matter is, even the most uh, what pe- a lot of people don't realize is that even the some of the most uh, prominent people in this blue church category have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> they're not especially um, in, they're not especially well read on the subject that that they're opining about. You know, it's very easy then for them to call someone you know a Nazi, a fascist, yeah. uh, you know, a this, a that, or that. It's so easy now. The currency has been cheapened to the point where, oh. Um, you know, somebody said that they're a totalitarian. That means I'm. I feel perfectly willing and and uh, and responsible to go on Twitter and just say, "Oh, they're a totalitarian." Authoritarianism is coming to Hungary. It's coming to the United States. Blah 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 blah. blah. All of this insane, um, you know, political rhetoric um, that's that's happening. Once once you once you're exposed to that and sort of one brick falls, like COVID was a huge burst in the dam for a, for millions of people then they kind of started realizing then you know we had the election we had we had the riots we had a lot of this stuff um they're starting to realize that yeah i'm being lied to 
not just on one thing, but on everything, everything, everything. everything. And and uh, up until now, we kind of thought that there were people in positions of power who were, um, you know, a they weren't political actors, and b they had they were intelligent. So, like yes. for example, CDC or all this stuff. I mean, CDC. You know, you you had people who, um, you know, blue-pilled people who were like, okay, you know, CDC tells me, well, you know, they're serious people. They wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't be political hacks. Well, like, now they're being uh, unmasked as political hacks. And uh, and all this is to the good. All this is to the good. I mean, it's, it's scary, and it creates a sense of chaos, as you said, which is that, like, I, I you know, A, I don't know who to trust, but I know I can't trust these mother, you know, yeah. Um, and B, um, you know, I don't know what happens because we're really in a in a in a free fall when yeah. it comes to to when it comes to this. And like, that's the free fall that you get when you're in the late republic. You know, this yeah. is this is the shit that happens. We have an epistemological aporia. We have we have yeah. a real epistemological crisis uh, because we have a you know, I mean, we've heard that it's a post truth world because all of our institutions are utterly untrustworthy and they you know can't be counted on to produce knowledge of any type and this starts from the academy and goes all the way through every agency and uh, all the media we have a real epistemological crisis yeah and it's and and i find too that it confuses a lot of people because there are folks that assume conspiracy theories yeah when none are required Mm-mm. So yes. it's like it's like it's not. I'm not saying there are no conspiracy theories. I'm just saying that like before you indulge in one, stop and say, okay, is it possible that these people are just morons? That these yeah. people are that, that they're morons. That they're totally ideologically, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, captured mentally, and that they are acting out as anyone would act out if they were so captured ideologically. Yeah, they're under ideology. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's one of the things that that's one of the things that bad philosophy um, when, when it's pernicious and it spreads, people behave in ways that you might attribute to conspiratorial, but it's just that they all have the same outlook and they don't all have the same outlook because someone's pulling strings. They all have the same outlook because they believe it. They're accepting the same set of premises, which are false. Um, And so it's kind of seems weird. Um, And sometimes I think it's difficult because you talk about, sometimes we'll talk about, this is what they're doing, or this is the agenda. And it it sounds like it's being pushed. And we don't actually mean that it's being pushed from a conspiratorial perspective. It's just kind of evolved this way in given the environment of ideas, this is how it's going to evolve um, and how it's bound to evolve. And I think, I think part of it has to do with something you and I were talking about recently, Carter, which is some people don't seem to have a good, they're not able to see the big picture. They're not able to see down the road. They can just see what's in front of them. They're short-sighted. They're very short-sighted. And so those people buy a lot of this stuff. The ones who are not waking up, I guess that put it that way, David, the ones who are not waking up. I see them on social media saying things like, like when it comes to the eviction moratorium, you know, they're, they're the ones in there, the commenters saying things like, oh, because helping people's a bad idea. We're trying to help <laughs> people here. And it's like, 
wow, like you just buy that little, that, that big leaf of an excuse, you know, they're like, this is to help people. And they're like, that's it. That's all you can see right in front of you. And all the other stuff we've talked about, why are we even, why are people not able to pay their rent? What happened last year that we were talking about, you know, the, the lockdowns yes. that people were saying, we, it's not COVID, it's our response to COVID. The government did yes. that. The government this put is- people in this situation. When COVID first struck, I remember I was in LA with my son. We were out there living for a while. And I told him, he, I turned to him and I said, he, he, I said, it's not, this, it's not this virus that's gonna get us, it's gonna be the state. And he said, oh no, no, the state's gonna save us. That's all there is to save us. I said, no, you'll see. It's the state that's gonna get us. And uh, you know, and I saw it coming down the line, you know, people were still making, you remember all those jokes about toilet paper shortages and all that nonsense? Yeah. I said, this is nothing compared to what's gonna go on. It's gonna be about property. It's gonna be about people's, it's gonna be about the economy big time, that the economy is gonna be crushed by the state responses to this crisis. And it's been nothing but that. The state has imposed these insane more, you know, these insane sanctions and and uh, draconian rules that have just been devastating. And uh, that's that's the other thing I see with this moratorium is a, it's a signal though of, of plans for further lockdowns um yes yeah yeah Yeah. i i I think so too and and, you know another thing we should do is thank ron desantis in florida because i i think every every american should thank him you know every freedom-loving american uh because without him and without his uh his insistence on keeping florida open and uh, on pushing back on some of this i mean he was a lightning rod he took a lot of shit and um you know, I'm sh- for sure Greg Abbott and uh, and other governors who who you know wound up being pretty good on this or decent on this. Um, you know, I, I don't think they would have uh, opened their states to the to quite to that extent had it not been Ron DeSantis in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I heard what he was saying in response to Biden, who said, you know, governors who won't let us do some of these federal mandates need to get out of the way. And he said, no, I am standing in the way. I will stand in the way for the people of Florida. And I really like that. I don't know a lot about him, but I liked what he had to say. And I think we need, I think we need more men like that, like strong men who are willing to say, who to make the moral argument, like you were saying earlier, Carter, about the conservatives not standing up for principles. I feel like with what little I know about the conservative the conservative movement or the Republican Party, I don't see a lot of people ma- making that appeal to morality and to emotion anymore. I mean, we know they make the appeal to morality. When emotion, it comes to, maybe, but but like abortion and stuff like that. But I don't hear them standing up and saying, "No, this is this is what's right is to stand in the they're way." Pragmatists. Of the Conservatives have become pragmatists, and I think maybe deep down they've resigned themselves that there is going to be a slow decline to the left, and they're just going to slow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the psychological thing is, but they're they're pragmatists largely. Um, I'm, there are some who are principled. I mean, speaking about principle, though, can I? There's another story that I like that fits into this whole discussion that bothered me, which is Apple's. Uh, did you guys see the story about Apple's uh, image scanning stuff? They're going to start doing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, good stuff, good stuff. That's that's <laughs> that's not scary at all. <laughs> right. So for those who haven't seen it. Um, Edward Snowden was talking about this. Apple 
Um, so Apple's kind of built its brand on privacy to some extent and actually has done a decent job standing up to the federal government compared to what you might expect in the past for, for mm-hmm. some issues. Um, when the FBI has asked for, asked for stuff, they've refused and that kind of thing. Um, they are now building into their next iOS, I guess, um, software that will scan it, it, it. My understanding of it, they haven't been so, so clear technically, but I think it's producing hashes of images that you have and comparing them to a database of known child exploitive uh, images, so like child porn or sexual abuse or whatever. Um, but they're going to scan all this, and then they're going to so they're scanning all your images and then comparing it to some database. And of course, this is the this is the moment where where the frogs in the pot, and they just put the pot on the stove and turn the burner on, and everyone's like, "Well, yeah, of course, that's only going to affect child pornographers. Who cares?" Right. And yeah, sure, if you're unprincipled, you don't care because it only affects child pornographers. And I agree, it will only affect child pornographers this moment. But first. You all know in five years from now, it's going to be, hey, you know what? We have a database of, of misinforming memes, and we have a database of these bad images and these bad ideas and blah, blah, blah. And can you add this to your database? And this is all under pressure from the federal government. This isn't Apple deciding to do it on their own. This is the federal government pressuring them um, to do something. Because, and, and, you know, it's the standard argument that we heard back in the 80s. It's for the children, um, and we're all supposed to just bend over because it's for the children and accept this pseudo government it's that it's that oligarchy that you talk about <laughs> dr Rector ball right that yeah. kind of apple slash government bureaucracy state, uh, intrusion into our yeah yeah intrusion into our privacy I, that just really bothered me if you haven't seen yeah it. i mean yeah, this look, is the lost leader you know they're going to right. use this just as a way into other stuff as you were saying you know it'll be are you COVID compliant? Are you woke? Uh, you know, basically anything. And you're, you're yeah. right. The memes will be scanned. Any images you have, text or otherwise frozen text, you know, in effect, uh, they're going to scan it. And this, will, will, this, this adds to the social credit score possibility as another means by which they can calculate a, a credit score, a social credit score. Mm-hmm. Are and you feed into right. it. Right. Yep. Yep. And and look, the the, the essential uh, dynamic here, the essential conflict that's been going on for uh, you know for eternity, um, gets to be heightened in the in this digital age, which is which is security versus liberty, and right. um, and I think we've kind of lost the cognitive ability to even have that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Once you have that conversation, once you once you say, okay, wait, stop. Putting aside the you know child porn stuff, how does this fit into the liberty versus security discussion? I mean, once you even go there, it's very hard to sustain. Um, you know, it's very hard to to uh, uh, you know to sustain the the kind of pro Apple policy on this. Yeah. Um, but yep. you know, so that's that's one reason why they're trying really hard not to think. Uh, you know, not to get people to have that discussion or not to believe that people have, that all this stuff requires trade-offs. You know, are you ready to hand over your entire digital life to Apple um, in exchange for, you know, to, to fight the scourge of child pornography, which, you know, is, of course, a scourge. Everyone agrees. But, like, you know, is, is, this, uh, is this a worthwhile trade-off? Is it a worthwhile trade-off to make everyone essentially 
a you know a, a, a digital ideological surf. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and you're automatically a suspect. Like you don't. <laughs> we have a system in which you you allegedly you have or supposedly you have privacy unless there's reason to believe that you've committed a crime in which case the the government can go to a judge and get a warrant and then come violate your privacy and search through your papers um this just turns everyone into that well we're going to search through everyone's papers because some of you are bad right and that argument i, I mean that extends infinitely right we, we can you can do anything to anyone if you're if you're going to justify it by saying well, some people are bad enough that this action is, is warranted. And wait till, wait till they apply predictive algorithms to it. Yep. In other words, they can look at this with predictive algorithms and say, oh, well, you're about to engage in child pornography, or you're about to say something racist, or you're about to, because of the trend that you're on, and we can see, you know, then you're, you're one of these, uh, what do they call them uh, now, uh, domestic terrorists. Uh, basically right. so uh, minority report yes right. this precognition yeah. is these predictive algorithms are right there they already exist and it's a matter of application now yeah so i have a we had someone in the chat say i thought friday casual fridays was not supposed to be depressing <laughs> i was just gonna, i was just gonna ask i'm, I'm like where are, the, where are the where are the jokes you know <laughs> Um, I saw actually, actually, to me, I, I saw one of the, the the super chats said I got a DVD of the party. Is that the we're, uh, we're talking about the Peter Sellers movie, right? Yeah. So you guys, oh, you would love that, David. We're gonna be doing Problematic Film Club. Oh and, man, that's amazing. Yeah. So the first film we're doing is the party, Peter Sellers, and we were gonna be discussing it last Sunday, but uh, we had technical problems. We have to reschedule. But we were gonna have Chrissy Mayer, the comedian and Cameron Pasha, the screenwriter, and my friend Jared uh, Bauer from Wisecrack, and Christian Toto, who's an entertainment writer. But we want to have all different people on different episodes, So we and we want to watch the movies that couldn't be made today, which is a lot of movies. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that, but that one in particular, <laughs> that one, even when I first saw it in, in, the, in the 90s, I was like, huh. Um, and uh but but it's um but did it's, you like it's, it it's, did i like it yeah i mean i loved it because i'm a sellers fanatic okay um, i didn't i had never seen it before i watched okay. it just for film club and it just made me think of uh very dated mr bean yes <laughs> it's just a bumbling right. silly guy and but of course they have their issue is with the fact that he's playing a different right which i like right which is which is to me the least offensive part of the movie you know i thought i thought <laughs> I was I was just like okay I've had enough of the slapstick shit you know um, yeah. that like that that's what offended me on an aesthetic level um, but uh, but but the the Indian stuff is uh, you know the, the I, I, yeah the who green greenlit that I mean that would be a fascinating story to go and talk to like you know the old uh, you know cigar smoking uh, the you know the cigar chomping Jewish guy you know who's probably hanging out at the deli back in the day it was like oh mm -hmm. I like this screenplay this is the one. Let's yeah, do this. <laughs> Birdie Nun Lums. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be doing that. And, and I, I want to throw in some movies there that are just, I mean, that'll just be a fun, you know, we're going to do uh, Three Amigos. And someone in the chat can Wait, say. Wait, why the Three Amigos? Blazing Saddles. I think the Three Amigos, they probably would get dinged on cultural appropriation these days. Even though they're actors, but 
in the film they're playing actors, but they still they get dressed up in all the the mariachi gear. Yeah, yeah, mariachi gear. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a part where they're they're staying with the Mexican family, you know, and they're in Mexico. And he says, "Do you have anything other than Mexican food?" Right. <laughs> like, you can't. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the, I, look. Every movie contains something from yeah. you know that would be problematic. Like that, you know, I was born, I was born a poor black child. Yes, from the, from the, the jerk. jerk. You know, I mean, how do you how do you get away with that today? Right. Right. I think they want to rob us. I think we, we've talked about this before, but again, it's not like some cons- shadowy conspiracy theory. Where people are sitting in a room going, let's rob them of joy. But that's the outcome. Is But the joyless, joy. the joyless yes. want to rob you of joy. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that just that just happens because a lot of the people who are architects of this, I, the, the woke ideology anyway, and people who are moving where we're at culturally, the people who are moving us forward in this bad direction, a lot of them don't have joy. And right. also, I think if they can rob us of joy, then we're more easily malleable. We're, we, we, it's more likely that we'll comply when we give up hope, when we give up joy. And so even just at the beginning of this episode, talking about how, uh, you know, there are some people who I would say are, are on the right side of the cultural war fight, I think, but they mistakenly, they have given up their own joy and every every day is a fight, and they wake up, and they're they're no different psychologically than a social justice warrior because it's all just about outrage. What am I outraged about? What am I outraged about? And that's exhausting. And you can't do that. You can't. We have we have we have to be able to take part of our lives back for ourselves. I think that's a big part mm-hmm. of the puzzle. Like I was asking my husband last night, do you think if we did a poll and asked people, just thinking about technology and how invasive these things have become and how addictive they are these devices in our hands and do you think if we ask people would you rather live in the 1980s or today you know what would people say i think the majority of people would say the 80s especially you? the 70s i gotta say the, the 70s. 70s are great yeah I mean, the music was better myself there but i loved the 70s it was the best decade by far but so I think I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think gut wise people would say pick a previous decade because we weren't so addicted to these and they didn't call and beckon us and we could people would write letters. We just watched the big chill, you know, and at the end she's getting their addresses so she can write them all letters. I remember when you wrote letters to people, we don't do that anymore. But I guess my point is we can't we can't just live in nostalgia. We can't wish these didn't exist. They do exist. But how do we reclaim parts of our lives? every day that we're not attached to this thing. I think so it, we takes, are living in joy. it takes a little bit of antiquarianism, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, I try to go back, re, I try to get out of this by going in deeply, you know, like reading novels from the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, just going into different arcana, you know, like listening to music from the 70s, just defying it, you know, because you're right, if we don't have joy, we're done. And mm-hmm. And uh, that can't, you know, and I don't think that they're going to be able to digitize our souls, frankly. Yeah. Um, so I think that I have I have a friend that says they they really have soul envy, and this is really what they are trying to get. Um, and but I think that that's that's not that's an inimitable characteristic that they can't get, and I think people have to realize that. And that's another white pill. I'll drop an, I'll drop one myself. Good. I, I, can I, I just make a comment that. about the 80s? Yeah. I, I, I love the 80s, but I think people would say they would rather live in the 80s, but after a week in the 80s, they would have, they would have decided they made it. 
Um, no, I'm serious. And and I look, I music was better. Lots of things are better in the '80s, but we couldn't have this kind of a conversation. I would have not met any of you in the right. '80s at all, ever. We would still be thinking that CNN was probably mostly truthful. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we like that is good about modern technology that I think we take for granted. And you know, like, don't blame your own dopamine addiction. Like, don't blame the phone for your own dopamine addiction. Like, I just deleted Twitter. I don't have Twitter and Facebook on my phone. I don't have games on my phone. I don't touch my phone because there's nothing exciting on my phone. Because if I put something exciting on my phone, I'll be addicted to my phone. So, like, you just have to manage yourself and you have to understand we have to evolve as humans. Uh, Our relation to the world needs to evolve. Like, we need to understand this is what these devices are. This is how they play on our neurotransmitters in different ways. And we just have to be very aware of it. And I love what you're saying, uh, Michael, but like, I've been reading older stuff, been listening to old music. Yeah. I deleted crap from my phone. My phone's for phone calls and texting. And like, that's the end of it. So we can't do it. I want to make a point between you guys. Okay. okay. Somewhere in between. So I think wh- one of the reasons why we're so, um, we seem so dissatisfied with, let's say all of this, like our current, our current technological digital life is that um, is that we're now in a in a sort of each each med- each medium of consumption uh, requires a, a a shorter and shorter degree of um, you know of a concentration shorter and yes. shorter attention span so it's possible if you want like for example go and instead of reading tweets you can read mm-hmm. articles instead of reading articles you can read, um, sh- you know, short stories. Instead of reading short stories, you can read books. You know, and the same thing applies to a lot of other things uh, um, as well. So, so um, you know, so you don't really necessarily have to put down the phone. I mean, yeah, that's you probably, right. You probably should, but if you go and you and you and you put yourself and you and you kind of consciously say, "I'm going to do something that requires." Um, you know, that requires a longer span of concentration than just, you know, flip, 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 flip through tweets, or maybe even watch a short clip on YouTube and then another short clip on YouTube. And then like, I mean, the, the, the kind of the apex of this shit is, is TikTok, right? Because yeah. it's like this nothing thing. And I've seen it. I mean, I've seen, I, 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 <laughs> I went to a place where I saw kids and um, just you know, kids together, hunched together with their families or whatever over a big iPad and and they're flicking through. And it's like the whole family flicking through these things that, you know, and and uh, and you've got many, many fingers going and doing the flipping. So what you've got is you've got like a prisoner's dilemma of um, of, uh, you know, of attention span where it's like the lowest possible um, you know, the lowest possible threshold for any one of the four people around the iPad, boom, it's gone. It's off to the next thing. Yes. So it's like these things are just are, are just are just going by so quickly. I think like probably the next social media invention is just going to be images for a second and then another image for a second and then another it's image idiocracy. for a second. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Look, ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in order to combat that, I think what you can do is you can purposely put yourself into a place if you are going to consume media and i think you should consume media you kind of have to i think to be a a um a normal person 
um, a normal healthy person. You know, but I agree with you. I try to use digital media. I use digital media. I haven't opened a paper book in ages. I, I, I don't like paper anymore. I just don't like it. But what, what I try to do is read long things on the screen. Hmm. And therefore, the digital, the digital terminal is not determining what I'm doing. It's, it's merely a vehicle. So I, I try to read really long books, things like that on the screen. And that way, oh, that, the other thing it does is that. I like paper books. I have oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can take notes in them. <laughs> the other thing that does for me is that, you know, because of so much of digital media is such fluff and nonsense, that there's something about paper books that to me have this kind of intimidating feel. Hmm. And so <clears throat> when you're reading all these things that, you know, this different fluff and different, uh, you know, digestible pablum on, on the screen, then it's when you just move over to another register and reading something dense, it doesn't have the sort of, uh, and it's on the same screen, it no longer has that intimidation factor. It's like, oh, this is just another thing on the screen. And so I'm, I end up reading, you know, some philosophy on the screen. And, and uh, it sort of de demystifies the text a bit and uh, so forth. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, this, it's one reason why I love listening to records as opposed to digital music. If I'm working and I'm sitting by the computer and, you know, of course, I'll throw on title or whatever and, and it, it it will just kind of continue playing long after I've, I've I've even stopped paying attention to it but if I am paying attention if I'm cooking if I'm elsewhere in the apartment I will put on a record because I know yes. that every 23 mi minutes you know at most I will need to pick the needle up and to flip the thing over mm. um, and it keeps you tied into um, you know to something and I mean of course you can go and you can play one track on one LP take it off Put on another one, play another track or a half a harder. track, and then do that. It's just harder, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I you, love you listening to records for the same reason, and yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's actually why I had the opposite uh, reaction to digital books, though. Is is I like the there's something old school about the oh, yeah. paper books and being able to write in the margins, and I guess I'm just kind of a luddite in general because I also. I mean, Carter's trying to get us on Google calendars, and this is what I prefer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's all kinds of highlights. No my handwriting's terrible, yeah. so I can't, I can't write anyway. I can't even read what I write, so it doesn't, you know, I, I just lost. I lost <laughs> the whole tactile thing. I used to love curling up in bed with a book. I used to love reading on the beach. That was mm. my uh, favorite yeah. activity on Earth. Well, uh, but now I'm all screen all the time. How do you read I on the beach with the sun? I always have a pencil. When I'm What's that? Animal. How do you read? I always have a pencil. Yeah. You Go can't ahead. do it. You can't read in the sun. That's that's one of the problems. <laughs> yeah. Can you, so with you the fall asleep? With the Kindle, like you fall asleep with the book light? on your chest. You know. I the reflective the Kindle, Kindle reader Kindle? works. Yeah. Yeah. The one that's a, uh, the passive. Uh, what is it? LCD screens yeah. that should work in the sunlight, right? I think so. Yeah, but it's, the laptop doesn't work in the sun, and the phone you can't see. But yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, I know. It's probably bad. I mean, I have lost, I have a whole shitload of books and they're all basically in storage. I don't even have them anywhere. They're, they're a mile from here. And that's we've it. got, we've got like so many books. We, we like, I think every six months we buy a new bookshelf and we run out of space. Like maybe not that, maybe it's once a year we buy a new bookshelf. Uh, my wife and I are both 
paper book people, well, pencils in hand, reason, marking I them mean, up. You you like getting the old dictionaries, Carter, because the way they change the uh -huh. online I do. ones. And yeah, so, you can look up <laughs> what did this, this word mean point. in 1930? <laughs> right, that's important. It's a good point. They can, I mean, history can be erased mm -hmm. and rewritten because of the digital. So there is something to having these permanent records. These, yeah. these are important. We don't even know whether Google Books is altering documents or not. It's not that I, right. I'm not saying they are, but they're disappearing them, that's for sure. If they were, we wouldn't know. Yep. Right. If they were altering, we couldn't know. So, um, so I can I yeah. can I mention something? I saw Michael that your book was you got a ban on Facebook for posting the synopsis of your book. Yes, for posting a synopsis of the book you just held up, thought criminal. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. All I did is say, you know, in the book there's a virus, but it's not really a virus. It's actually nanobots that attach. Them. You know, the whole the whole synopsis. I'm not going to go right. through it now, but. And I was banned on uh, on Facebook for that. Just posting a, a synopsis of a novel. He said, "In my novel, there's yeah. a fire." Yeah. Wow. Um, and it reminded me of like speaking of them altering books and stuff. I have a friend who just sent me this. He has a book. He's been on our show before. We I, we interviewed him. Is I wanted to talk to like an act someone I consider an actual progressive which is different from a social justice warrior in my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he he's not social justice. <clears throat> and uh, his name's Kyle Abernathy, but he's not very political online. He wrote a book. It's a it's a fiction, a work of fiction. It's called Revenge of the Chupacabra. Mm. So his ad, he's been running the same ad for this book, you know, every year or so for a couple years. And his ad was just rejected um, and said they could not run the ad that they that he's always run for it because it says your ad may have been rejected because it mentions politicians or it's about sensitive social issues that could influence public opinion. This book is not set in the modern- Wait a minute. You mean yeah. we're not allowed to try to influence public opinion wow. anymore? <laughs> Or wow. to have, only Facebook is allowed to try and influence yeah. public opinion. You're right. not allowed to try. Or to have any political, you can't have politician in your book, a fake politician. You can't have, so that he can't even advertise a work of fiction about a, that has a fictional this character. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just saw that at the same time as yours, so I thought that was something new that I had not seen before. Or, That's pretty. Coming crazy. after fiction. Terrible. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. But again, I, I mean, back to back to what I said before. Uh, since I've already gamed out the worst possible things that they can do, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you can yeah. eke out some they've, joy in, in what's yeah. in what's left. They've got right. They're like, okay, they've gotten to that yet. You know, uh, we're we're okay. early, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I feel early. the same way often, David. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, you I mentioned say, we we have still have some freedoms, and you know, we're talking right now. We're still getting away with it. Um, so yeah. I mean, it's it's like or even on YouTube, when you're living in the media sphere, you don't realize you can walk down the street just fine, and it doesn't seem so all-consuming. Yeah. And so I think that's part of what we're what we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, we were yeah. saying last night. It's sort of if I think back to pre-lockdowns, um, you know, if you could have imagined then what it would be like flash forward a year everyone's wearing masks or people aren't going outside and, and and you look around and it looks just like mass insanity and and so i was thinking last night about well at least we can still come to a restaurant 
now and sit and, you know, have a Tepo Chico and have a conversation. And in the future, we might be looking back at this and saying, oh, remember when we used to be able to go out? <laughs> so I'm going to enjoy that now. Yes. <laughs> like, remember when we were allowed to eat? <laughs> <laughs> Something other than bugs? <laughs> remember meat? Uh, joke, but. <laughs> remember meat? Because meat is on the table, right? Because if Gates has his way, we'll be eating artificial meat. Well yeah. then, but what ends up happening is that the you know the kids who who come who grow up without meat, and who grow up eating bugs, they know no different. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. like the kids now growing up seeing everyone in masks, which no one wants us to talk about whether that's healthy or not. But yeah. I, from the very beginning, I'm like, I don't think it's Insane. healthy for kids. Insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Can I really? I just really want to come back to one thing because. David, okay. early on, you said you said that art was political, and then you started talking about records, um, and and I will say that one of the things I miss about music from the past is that when a band made a record, it was often a one complete, continuous piece of art where the songs related to one another. There's a theme. Yeah, thank Frank Sinatra for that. Anymore? Yeah, um, but I can you. What do you mean by other than obviously political art? Um, I think you meant something a little bit more nuanced than that when you said art can be. Political. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I meant it. To, I meant it in the context of today. I mean, if you're going to create non woke art, it's going to be non woke art. If you're going to be creating woke art, it is, you know, it is, it is political art as well. So um, it's a, it's a strange place. I mean, I don't endorse it. I don't think that it's a wonderful thing. Um, I don't think that I'm not one of those uh, folks, who, mostly on the left. Who thinks that all art is is uh, you know is, is necessarily political? I guess you could make that argument in a in a kind of meta sense, in the sense that um, it is an act of will by a creator to do X and and you know for that reason blah blah blah. Um, but in this context today in 2021, uh, we're in a place where um, if you're not you know if you're bucking the trend of woke then um you know then you are um you are necessarily like a political artist i mean in the same context that if you are a public figure that has not come out on a on a uh political topic and has not endorsed blm and didn't you know trash trump and all this stuff you're conspicuous in your absence <clears throat> it's like the old uh you know in the old communist countries who is the guy you know they they clap for Ceausescu, they don't stop clapping because the one guy who stops clapping, um, the first guy who stops clapping, you know, he's going to be the disloyal one. He's to um, the new one, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, so so it's, uh, you know, I mean, we're in, we're in a situation right now which I think is very, very bad for art. I mean, I did a, a podcast that I liked a lot with uh, with Walter Kern, who's the, the, uh, the, the great uh, novelist and essayist. And uh, and this is what we we discussed. We discussed just how what a, what an awful development it is, and or, or it has been that we have this sense of kind of artistic responsibility to be left, to be woke, and to infuse our artwork with um, you know with with political messages, which are which are stupid. And I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to be as dated and horrible as like you know bad production music production from the 80s 
Yes. Right. Well, as like all propaganda those... is in retrospect, right? You look back at propaganda and it's like, okay. Like yeah. those films like Reefer Madness or the thing where they right. would, you know, come yeah. in and lecture you morally about not doing pot kids. And then and then <laughs> and then on drugs. And then afterwards there'll be a reaction, which is that people will find that kitsch charming. Yes. <laughs> yes. Remember when all the remember back in the twenties when all the all the actors and musicians were talking about BLM? Let's right. watch this BLM clip. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope. Yeah, you know. But but on the other hand, look, look, look at look at how uh, you know. You know, here we go, black pill again. But um, you know, the Abraham Lincoln Brigade in the Spanish Civil War. I mean, people still talk about and lionize them. They were a bunch of American communists that went to go fight. Uh, you know, for for the you know for the the the, the Soviet side in uh, in the spanish civil war and um and they're still considered heroes on the left people know who they are so this i think this is what will happen with with blm really mm. yeah probably yeah. well i mean even in modern china there's still like even though they left maoism there's still reverence for mao there's like excusing there's excuses that are made for like well you know, he had this, th this or the other thing. Well, but in general, that, you know, he yeah. saved us. Yeah, like, oh, in general, he, you know, he saved us from, you know, Japan or whatever, right? Like, but the general, roads, he was good. But the roads are good. <laughs> yeah, look at all the empty buildings he built. It's great. Or no, that's that was Deng Xiaoping. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, so it is, it is, you're right, it's possible. to. It's, it's likely that people are... That poor narratives are maintained over time if the right people are in control. Yeah, so somebody says at... the most profound and provocative art nowadays are memes. Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that on one hand. On the other hand, is it's you know, I mean, it's inherently a political medium. Yeah. Um, if it wouldn't be a meme, you know, I mean, we don't take somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's whatever drawing of something and say that it's a meme. Um, you know, a meme is in inherently political, but I mean, he's he's right that there's a lot of energy there, and uh, and um, it is it is a different way of exp I, I think the memes fall in the category of um, of political warfare in a way that kind of replaced the old some of the old forms of political warfare. Like for example, it used to be that you know if you got a Wall Street Journal op-ed you had basically sold, you know, you, you, you made the sale. You've convinced mm -hmm. everybody on the right, every Republican will be convinced by, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, a few blog posts or, well, you know, Wall Street Journal op-eds or something like that. And, and that has just been completely eclipsed by things like memes. But I think yeah. the, 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 the great, it's still a political act, but it's not engaging politically. It's just a refusal of this just to refuse to engage with all this and just do something completely different. You know, to write, to write a novel or to write fiction or to write poetry, anything that's not, just to refuse these terms would be a, you know, a real political act without engaging in it as such. So, I mean, it would be you know, radical to write about uh, Oh, I don't know. Just you know, springtime in France. I mean, you know, just something that's completely not 
you know, charged with these with these valences of political um, relevance. Because we're at the point in the revolution in which not being sufficiently pro-revolution means you're counter-revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Right. The, right. So uh, you didn't you're the last guy to you, you started you stopped clapping first. Therefore, you're right. the counter-revolutionary at the end. Right. Um, but there's some innocence to that. And, you know, I mean, you're right. You're culpable and you're conspicuous by your absence and participation. So, yeah. but I think that if it's done in a masterful way, it can be, it can be sustained and it can be, um, it can be kind of revolutionary, but also it, it can, it can, it can be unassailable in some sense, I think. Yeah. That's to throw a white pill back in. Well, can, to throw another white pill in, uh, I want to just, I'm not sure what time we're wrapping up. I know we have to do some super chats. We should I wanna, do some super chats before. We yeah, but I want you guys to think about, while well, Carter, we can pull up some of those chats and read them, but what are some uh, pieces of art or some things that are giving you joy lately? Like, what are you finding that's that's giving you inspiration or just moments outside of this culture war? I'm, for me, it's a lot of the old comedies. And, hmm. and just old movies in general. Hmm. Like I said, I like watched what? The Big Chill. I watched okay. The Big Chill the other night, and I remember all those songs, you know, like, uh, mm. they're just so evocative. It's a nice soundtrack, yeah. It's a great soundtrack. And a lot of that music, it actually was before my time, but in the way that it used to be that music that was before your time, it wasn't. It still wasn't before your time because you knew about it. Or maybe I just grew up with a dad who listened to a lot of old music, I, and so I knew of music yeah. from previous decades. Um, I find now that younger people seem not to know they're like who's who's um, Prince, you know, <laughs> like what? Well, that's <laughs> why reaction videos are so popular. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because because people are you know, and you want to see you know, you want to see somebody react to like you know, uh, like like some you know black rapper dude who's like uh, seventeen reacting to an Eddie Van Halen solo. Yes. Um, it's it's mm. kind, you know it's kind of exciting because it's that moment of discovery where they're just like oh my god, you know this exists. This is a thing that that exists and it's it's and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, yeah, it's old movies. Like I said, Three Amigos. I watched again recently. Uh, the Bringing Up Baby, which is an older older film. Does it hold uh, up? Oh, Bringing Up Baby does. Bringing really? Up Baby. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's so funny. It's awesome. Um. And and then, you know, with music, I mean, I like again, I like the mentioning the music in the big show. I just like the I like the older stuff. Mm-hmm. I do a gig job. One of my gig jobs is I I am forced, I am held hostage and forced to listen to a lot of current music. And sometimes there's some good stuff, but most of most of the time, what I'm hearing people listening to is just crap. It's just absolute garbage. The and it's not just that the lyrics I think are just vulgar just for the sake of being vulgar they're not even creative like old blues lyrics could be vulgar but they would have double entendres and be kind of fun and cheeky and and these are just like absolute you know yeah. put your blank in my blank it's whatever and then the <laughs> and then the music itself is bad right. so uh so i've been finding solace in like older stuff yeah. anyway well that's that's yeah i mean that's that's my life finding solace in older stuff <laughs> <laughs> I read 19th century, you know, it's a 19th century scholar in, in uh, the academy. So I read 19th century fiction and uh, like um, 
what was I going to say? I had something else to say about that. 19th century stuff and uh, the poetry. Oh, yes. I, I, I read poetry. Um, like I was reading uh, Matthew Arnold recently. And uh, just going back to like this, there was this period in the 19th century where all these middle class intellectuals were having a crisis of faith. And it seems so quaint by our standard, you know, this crisis of faith, oh no. You know, Tennyson and uh, in his uh, In Memoriam and uh, Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold, or looking at the sonnets by Shakespeare to go back to the uh, 16th century, incredible stuff. Just so dense and so unbelievably nuanced. And you think we have gotten, you know, we've gotten brainless, we've lost it, but you can understand these things. They're still there. And so those are the kinds. I know it sounds very studious, but I'm sort of a nerd. Oh, you know what? I, I, I love it. And I, I'm going to use this opportunity to, to nerd, nerd out with you a little bit. I've started to read. I just finished the Iliad and I'm on the Odyssey. And awesome. I had to read the Iliad a while, like years ago. And I just detested it. And I didn't really pay attention to it. But this time, like, I came into it wanting to read the Iliad. Um damn is it beautiful mm. it's, it's amazing i mean the mm -hmm. writing is absolutely amazing and i feel like we just kind of dismiss it we like forget that this is thousands of years old and absolutely beautiful poetry yeah hmm. that's beautiful and it's so. teaching you universal things about human nature that have held true forever Yes, right. of course you're not allowed to say that anymore because nature, human nature, you know, in the academy, you could never say human nature, you could never say truth, you could never say any of these phrases because they were verboten. So, but it's great that you're right. I think it does tell us something about human nature uh, that uh, that there are universals and that we can appreciate them. Like there is a universal beauty. You know, beauty can be understood across time. This is huge to even recognize because it tells us something about this ephemeral bullshit that we're getting handed. Mm -hmm. And also it tells us something about the verities that we can hold on to, I think. Yeah, it's amazing how reading about, reading something that was written thousands of years ago about people whose lives are ostensibly so different from mine. There's so much similarity with, there's so much you can relate to. And you're like, oh, I, under, I understand, oh, I can, Jealousy. geez, why is Achilles pissed off? What's going on? <laughs> like you could, like, there's all this stuff going on that you, that's, that's, uh, totally relatable. Um, you know, even if you're not out, you know, in the fields of, of Troy killing people, which right. probably most of our audience isn't. Um, all right, let's do some super, <laughs> let's do some super chats. Now's a good time, I think. Um, all right. Big Ugly Clown Owl says they will keep adding letters to D I E. B until it's die bad white man. <laughs> <laughs> What's D I B E? D I E is so it's D diversity, inclusion, equity. But what's the B? Uh, uh, oh, it's the one about being seen. What is it? Uh, belonging. 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 Oh, they added belonging. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, didn't know they, they added belonging. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I thought that inclusion, <laughs> doesn't inclusion come? Doesn't that cover belonging? What's the matter with no. these people? They don't so, understand words. It's not inclusion enough. Is, inclusion is, yeah, it's never enough, just like diversity wasn't enough. So they devalue these terms and they always take it further. So there oh. was a point at which they said diversity is, is not enough. You need to have inclusion. 
inclusion. and inclusion is now the word that that we're going to push and then and then once they get people to accept that they say you know what inclusion isn't enough it really has to feel like to a home, home. For how about hugging yeah. too you have to be hugged so right so, <laughs> i mean you have, you to, have be to be long. one with them you're yeah. included but you belong okay oh yeah. my god die bad <laughs> white man that's pretty funny maybe you're okay. celebrated yeah. who knows uh, one time, one point twenty-one gigawatts says Carrie is the only one here not wearing any glasses. Her perfect vision is further proof of Russian bottery. I agree, she is a bot, um, but she's a great Russian bot. So I don't know what happened to my SJW glasses; um, they're missing. <laughs> I will on. Spinning Cloud says, "Get a land patent. Learn about it on Alpha Vedic on YouTube." Interview with Ron Gibson. I don't know what a land patent. Do you guys know what a land patent is? I've never heard the term. Well, before. I mean, I know what a patent is. That was. A a patent was a right given to by actually by the king. Uh, it was a right. It was a patent by by the king to give you some right to sell or do something. Uh, it's since been devolved to include basically innovative uh, technologies and things like that. But I don't know what a land patent is except what uh, I don't know the right to own land. I, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, we'll write you some land patents. If you want to write to own land, we'll we'll officially issue. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a good thing to look up. Johnny Boy Quickdraw says elimination of ownership has been pushed in many areas for a while now. Software as a service became a thing over the last decade, and now you don't own Photoshop. You rent it. I hate that about software. You're yes. completely correct. SaaS stuff has gone everywhere, um, and right. they force you to update, and you don't actually own your software. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, so it's a payment, it's over, you're off. Yeah. I mean, that it's a revenue thing. I mean, I can tell you as a tech guy who's been in the startup world, uh, venture capitalists pushed engineers to, to move to SaaS. Like, that was a, mm. it's a better revenue model. Um, mm -hmm. They want recurring revenue rather than one-time purchases of things. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of makes sense. If you think about Photoshop, I actually have an old copy of Photoshop back when you could buy it, and there's no reason to update. Mm. It, I like, there's no, maybe there's new stuff, but like basically for what I need, it's good enough. And I think that's true for a lot of stuff. And so that's why they're doing it. But okay. Um, Mick Wynn says, Hail Carrie, heel, heel versus Babyface and Neurotic are missing you. Don't forget the Yorkshire flat cap. Okay, yeah. She, she did well, if you guys cap. are fans of Nerdrotic and Friday Night Tights, I'm going to be on that show tonight, hanging out with those guys. And Clifton Duncan, our friend Clifton's going to be there. So, are you going to wear yeah, your maybe, flat cap? Maybe I will. Thank you. Right. <laughs> uh, Matt Deckard says, in the past, our middle class was too big for this to work. Uh, nonsense. Sorry, Matt. That's total nonsense. It's never. I'm been. not even sure what he's. What's what's this? No, 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 what, I, no, no. I, 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 mean, I remember when, mean it, when it came up. I thought yes, yes. Okay, that's what it was. That's what I was speaking in the context of. Yeah. Okay. And and I'm so and I'm gonna. If and there I'm was gonna, no, I, if, stop if, if, if if that's the point that he made, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with him. Uh, oh. One of the one of the things that um, we found happens every time in big blue cities is that uh, the middle class eventually gets shoved out completely mm -hmm. and it changes the character of the city um i mean aside from the economic effects it completely destroys the city mm -hmm. it destroys the san character francisco is a great example san francisco is a great example new york is a great example in 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 many respects miami is another example austin um, this is happening austin, in austin right now austin oh, right that? now yeah it's it literally like every city 
But just not hand it to the socialists here. This is corporatism that's, that's, that's doing this. This is uh, corporatism. It's collusion between the state and these big corporate actors who are able to buy them off. Hand in glove, they work. And uh, so this is not inexorable effect of capitalism as such. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also, it's also has to do with, you know, I mean, it also has to do with crime. Um, and, um, I mean, DC is another, is a really, really good example because DC is quadrant is, 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 you know, uh, seal off into, into quadrants. And for, you know, 30 years, you had some of the most desolate, desperate, bombed out, burned down places blocks from the US Capitol and nothing happened and 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 I mean I was I was looking at it and I'm not you know I mean I'm not a great real estate genius but when I was going to school there I was looking at it I was saying this is probably the most prime real estate in the country or like top 10 anyway um, why is this not getting developed and eventually it does get developed um, and uh, it gets developed such that um, you know, only the very rich can live there, and this is just what's what what, uh, what 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 keeps happening. I mean, people ask like, why is why is New York, um, you know, what what happened to New York? You know, why is New York boring? New York is boring because uh, the only people who can afford to live there are you know are are people who are working eighty hours a week at um, you know at, uh, at at brokerage houses. Um, or, uh, you know, trust fund folks coming from Bahrain mm. or wherever, um, you know, and, uh, and, and that's it. And, and the people who make a city great, um, you know, are, are middle class. Mm -hmm. And whether that's artists, you know, like I was living in New York and making very little money, you know, people like me would go and we'd work temp jobs for, you know, in law offices for one week and be off three weeks in a month, make our money. And then and then go and, and play music or, or or do you know dance or, or whatever. I mean, these are the folks that make um, you know that make a, a, a city living in uh, worth worth living in, and um, you know and those people broadly speaking could be part of the creative middle class or the or the middle class, and um, they also bring with them religiosity. So that's yeah. an, that's another reason why I mean you see all these churches in New York and San Francisco and wherever who was going to them now they're empty, you know now mm -hmm. they're empty you know sort of transitioning into um, LGBT uh, community centers which call themselves <laughs> churches. Yes. And you know because no they need something to yes. do with the real estate you know. Yes. It's it's basically you know a, a, a church in in a in a big blue city now is like uh, you know an LGBT center without a gym. <laughs> it's like Glide. Well Isn't that the one in San Francisco? I remember Glide. Which one? Uh, G-L-I-D-E. I used to work with a lot of these LGBT centers slash churches in San Francisco. That is San in San Francisco, Canada. Glide. Yeah. Right um, the Gay Rascal, speaking of LGBT centers, the Gay Rascal says, the founder of Gillette wanted to do this, create one huge world company, and then implement socialism. Uh, I learned yes, that that's right. It was called War... King Camp Gillette wrote several books on socialism. Uh, one was called The Human Drift. Another was called World Corporation, in which he envisioned a uh, endlessly uh, growing corporation that would subsume everything and eventually be the sole 
uh, maker and distributor of all goods, everything made, everything consumed, and it would be a one world, and this would lead to socialism. This is what he argued, because everyone would be an equal shareholder in this, and this would be eliminating competition. So the thing to remember is that these monopolists, they have something in common with socialists. They are, they both want monopoly, and they want to get rid of free enterprise. That's the that's the meat. That's that's the main thing they have in, in common. And they're really and there have been historical instances like King Camchillet, but more organized attempts on the part of big monopolists to implement socialism because it works for them. Yeah, yeah. and it's a very human impulse. It's one of the most human impulses, which is to remake humanity and remake society in your own mm -hmm. image. There's those people with a social engineering gene or something. They, yeah. they really, they have this control freak mentality where they want to say they see problems in the world and they think they come up with a blueprint for correcting them, like Robert Owen back in the 19th century. Or, um, you know, they call, Marx called this utopian socialism, uh, as if he wasn't a utopian. But uh, the, uh, yeah, this kind of impulse, I think it's very... It's very prevalent. It's very. I was, I was thinking yeah. about this in in relation to like the the World Economic Forum and this whole push to you know we're going to make sure you don't own anything, but you're going to be happy. And does it come? Do, do you think it comes from a place of? Is it simply just like moral and intellectual superiority? Like we know best. Sort of like Google saying after 2016, you know, there was that leaked audio of of a uh, Google executive talking about how we have to make sure the Trump thing doesn't, it happen, doesn't again. happen again. Yeah. And, it, and I think that comes from this arrogant place of we know better than the little people and we think this will help it to, to organize society this way. And, and also sort of like in um, the, the, they made a movie version of the short story, Harrison Bergeron. And in the movie version, they had to flesh it out a lot. And in that version, they added this, uh, this part of, they gave you insight into this upper elite part of society that the mm -hmm. rules didn't apply to them because they mm -hmm. were morally and intellectually superior and they had to keep society, they had to keep the little man down, but this was for the little man's good, you know? For mm -hmm. the, is, it, is, it, is it just, is it actually from, in some cases, like a really sincere, maybe well, wrong-headed and arrogant, yeah. but a real sincere belief that they know best? I think David hit this before, is they're under ideology and they believe that this is good. Uh, they are not like nefarious, let's control them. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> they really believe this is good. And, that, and, and then, uh, then they create institutions where you have the self-flattery that goes on inside of these institutions where they, you're flattered for having the right opinions about these matters. And these opinions just happen to be about, in effect, what would comes down to control for the for the majority because there there's this um, there's this unconscious idea that the majority represents these unwashed masses and they don't know better and we're we're benevolent it's benevolent dictators you know yeah and I think Mencius Moldbug uh, his his notion of the cathedral is actually really quite apt uh, I think he's it's probably the best model for understanding how this stuff disseminates from the institutions outwardly um, this kind of self-flattering ex-cathedra statements that they make and they're they're not like a coordinated bunch of conspirators as david pointed out they're just under the same ideology 
Mm. <coughs> yep. Yep. Um, all right. Pirate Tomsky says they'll enforce the social credit system via mandatory Max passports. Vax passports. They'll start with Vax and then expand it more and more until they control everything. Agreed. Fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, G-Man I think that's, says that's the way oh, in. Go ahead. No. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the uh, pretext for that. And, and I just I just want I just want to note that I think literally everyone knew this at least um, you know a year and a half ago. I mean, within within a few a few days or weeks of this virus, uh, you know. I mean, I I predicted everything. And it wasn't just me. It was, I think, everyone with a brain could look mm-hmm. around and say, yes, we're going to have vaccine passports when there will be a vaccine. Yes, we're going to have lockdowns, you know, and, 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 that, and that we will have continuous lockdowns at their discretion, which is a really important point. Um, uh, because they can go and they can say, oh, ha-ha. I mean, we already see this in California, for crying out loud. They're saying, you know, I think we're going to have to do this mail-in ballot thing because we got the Delta variant, you know, we've got the recall election yeah. coming up. We got the, you know, anytime they want to, they'll be able to to uh, to do the mail-in ballot thing. And and I'm sorry, I mean, I think, um, and and you know, you may or may not agree with me, but like, I think the massive, the most massive fraud um, in the last election was a hundred percent the campaign to to uh, you know to institute mail-in ballot throughout the country. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like giving them a, um, it was like giving them uh, permission or a blank check to commit mm-hmm. all the fraud that they wanted. I, I think they could have thrown yeah. Snicker bar wrappers in in there. Sure. With the name Biden on it, and they would have counted it in effect. I, my, my, my general view on the, on the election is, I don't know what happened, but the fact that we're not allowed to question it is all I really need to know about what happened. Yeah, that's about it. Um, so... Uh, all right, G-Man says, your guests are great today, but you should try to get Joe Biden on sometime. <laughs> Obama did an interview with a YouTuber best known for bathing in a tub of Fruit Loops, so don't tell me it can't be done. I <laughs> didn't know that, but okay. Oh, oh, you didn't know that? Oh, that was hysterical. That was absurd. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she didn't, she, she interviewed him straight, but, uh, but yeah, her shtick was... Was this she recently? Would, she was, well, no, I mean, this was when Obama was president. This was oh. like 20, 2014 something, you know? Wow. Oh, I Biden that. on unsafe space. That would be newsworthy. So I think what I'm hearing from this is Carrie needs to fill her bathtub with Fruit Loops. Mm. If we're going to have a chance. Um, can, can I read these? They may be out of order from yours, Carter, but I'll read them. Super Iron Bob. Thank you, Super Iron Bob. He says, people's hubris that they can manipulate others to behave as they want is too high. That manipulation causes the pervasive anxiety, but they're bad. All right, maybe he's saying that they're. I, I believe that the people who manipulate others, well, it causes anxiety in society. But I think they also live with some, maybe some kind of. I would. I would assume you're living disconnected. <laughs> you're not. You're not moored. You're not grounded. So there's probably some deep, um, low-level, low-grade anxiety that you're experiencing yourself. I would think. There are conspiracies, you know, they do exist. I mean, two people get together and have a clandestine idea, you know, a plan, that's a conspiracy. So they, they exist. Um, where am I going with this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that conspiracies do happen. Sometimes, yeah. Do happen. I saw, oh, yeah. speaking of memes, I saw a meme earlier this year that said, um, 
can somebody loan me a conspiracy theory because all of mine turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if I you haven't for- read the book um, Management of Savagery, uh, it's a it's a good one. It's the guy who wrote it, Max Blumenthal, is on the left, but it's a great um, it's a great reminder that all of these things that people dismiss as like, oh, that's kind of a conspiracy, like, you know, decades later, it's just common knowledge and like, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened. But so, so I don't know, sometimes there are actual conspiracy theories which are wrong, mm-hmm. which, um, which come back years later as truth. Okay. Um, not as truth, but like, for example, like they, they come back later and f- for example, um, for example, um, uh, I think, um, AIDS and cocaine pushed out by the U.S. government and the CIA in inner cities. Yeah, is that, is has false. that come back around? It, mm-hmm. People, I still see it on Twitter. It is false. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is so false that we actually have the records from when um, the 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 um, I forget who this is the the Active Measures Working Group went and traced this originally to a KGB public um, yeah. uh, a, a KGB out of India. And it was pushed from newspaper to newspaper to newspaper into the United States. And, uh, that's uh, what I was going to say before. Is I think that there are actors, I don't know who they are or why, who actually plant ed, you know, materials or ideas out there in order to make people that are conspiratorially minded to seem insane because they drop false conspiracy ideas all over the place. I think there's yeah. absolutely... That's the ultimate of that. conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. But that would be shocking if it wasn't happening, given right. the state actors that would have a vested interest in doing that. And it discredits everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of any kind of theorizing about what's happening. <clears throat> yeah. You went to London. Where did you go to London with Anton? Yeah, yeah. Anton is uh, is the author and speechwriter um, and friend of mine. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, all right. I'll fight you naked. Says. When you stare into the abyss, sometimes the abyss stares into you. But if you can summon the courage to laugh in its face, there will always be hope. See you in a week. I'm dropping off the grid. Aww. Thank you. Sweet. I'll you naked. Eric O'Sullivan says, Camille Paglia sees through art history that high civilizations peak with androgyny and alternative lifestyles. I find that fascinating and reliable. P.S. I got my DVD of the party. Also carry Friday Night Tights tonight. <laughs> Love it when as behaves. Yeah, there's also... um. I assume that uh, I assume that at least you, David, have read Sir John Glubb's uh, book on the fall of civilization, just based on the title of your. I actually, your I, actually it. I actually have it. I actually have it, but okay. I need, to, but I, but I, uh, I, I need to. I, I think it's to. called uh, what is the Fate of Empires or something like that. It's right. short. Um, oh wait a minute! Yeah, of course I have. Right. Yeah. Right. Now that you say it's short, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I think there's a lot in that it. too, where you you check boxes and you read it and you're like, oh, yep. uh huh, yeah, we're there, we're, right. yeah, yep, that's happening, yeah. Um, I dance for pennies says, is Elon Musk a white hat or a bad hat? I think you mean a black hat. Uh, he warns against AI, but has Neuralink too, which implants electronic connections directly into the brain. I'm pleading the fifth. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't even I mean, know what you're talking about, so I don't have to plead the fifth. I, I know, I know what he's talking about. He seems to be, in a sense, he seems to be 
a populist in some ways, um, where he's trying to warn people about, you know, the dangers of AI and also he's resisting a lot of state uh, sanctions and things like that. But on the other hand, he's promoting uh, a Neuralink and, you know, Neuralink is basically does what these nanobots do in my novel. They effectively connect you to the, the cloud. The problem with it is we, we think of it as just retrieving information. If you had if you had a connection where you could be on the internet in your brain, it seems wonderful. You have this enhancement. You have this vast knowledge at your at your disposal without even working. But the problem is that the two-way transmission is the issue. <laughs> that your thoughts could be read. And furthermore, your thoughts could be supplied if this happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty scary. My mm-hmm. my opinion on Elon just it, uh, he is, I mean, he said he's got Asperger's or whatever. He is, like, a little bit autistic. Mm-hmm. I, he's, I, I think he's just an engineer who's not thinking about the philosophy as much as you might think. I think he recognizes that there's issues in the world, and he wants to use tech to save humanity, but he's not sure what save humanity means. That's why he wants to go to Mars. Uh, he thinks that humans have to expand to Mars. Um, that's why he, you know believes in electric vehicles because he's kind of just vaguely worried about the planet and i think he just views you you know is he worried he's worried about ai but i think he also he's a tech dude so he's like well how can we use how can we use computers better how can we make things better like i don't i don't think he's as ideological as anyone gives him credit for yeah that's probably right yeah i mean going through the consistencies yeah yeah, I mean, just just referencing what I said about conspiracy theories earlier on, I think it um, there is a temptation to to a temptation for us to want to think that people are, you know, that they're always rational, that they always make sense, and they're not internally contradictory. Um, people are complicated; they say stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was someone who was as in the public eye as Elon Musk, and like, you know, I mean, he, he certainly asks for it, you know, he certainly makes himself a public person. So it's not, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. But, um, but to piece together all of the things that he says and say, oh, this, you know, he, 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 he intimated this, but then he, he is intimating that and blah, blah, blah. People are complicated. And um, and I don't know. Could he be a good guy or a bad guy? I have no idea. I've got no opinion on it. Um, but um, you know, but uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's never that simple. People are people are crazy, yeah. and they're and they're complicated. Yeah, I think there's a tendency for people to look at leaders, either political leaders or comp- or leaders of large companies right. or very successful people, as somehow uh, distinctly different from us. Like everyone else, and that's mm-hmm. just not been the, mm-hmm. like in my experience. And I, you know, I know a few very successful people. I have mutual friends with Elon. Like that's just not the case. Yes, and we also I mean, they might be smart and very productive, but yeah, other than that, and yep. they tend to ascribe omniscience to these people as if they're all knowing and they have this complete, you know, kaleidoscope of knowledge and they can see everything and they're plotting about it. You know, and that's probably not true. Well, also, Um, it's sort of what we've talked about before, Carter, is like everyone's capable of good and evil and everybody has days where they're not their best self or they engage in behavior that they are 
they then right. are apologetic for later, um, which is the sign of someone who's like self-reflective and able to take stock of, hey, that wasn't me being my best self. I made a mistake there. Um, so that's kind of what I look for in people. And I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't know. It's People tend to get, remember when Jordan Peterson said something about Kavanaugh and everyone got so upset because they didn't like yes. his one opinion on right. one thing and it's, they're ready to throw this guy out, the baby with the bathwater. And it just, it blew my mind. I didn't agree with that p- opinion about Kavanaugh either, but this is a man who helped me in so many ways and helped a lot of people I know to sort of organize their thinking and to, to kick bad ideology to the curb or at least set me on that path. And so I I don't, it's not this, we tend to just like discard, if you make a hero of something, it's very easy to then of someone, it's very easy for them to let you down because you expect them to always agree with you. That doesn't even make any sense. How are they always going to agree with you? You know, but if they have a pattern of bad behavior, then yes, I don't want that person in my life and I don't want to follow that person. And if they are a person who they're not self-reflective and they don't know how to take accountability for, uh, or even acknowledge that they have bad behavior, then then no, that's a pattern. You can say, I put that person squarely in the category of do not want to be associated with. You know? <laughs> He's not but like he, that. He's not like that. There's a script yeah. and if it seemed to, seemed to he deviated from the script that people were thinking he's gonna follow, you know, like, mm. If you think this, then you must think that, and and so on and so forth. Whereas you know, there you know these people aren't necessarily operating from some script like that. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, so I want right. to read this one from Little Ragamuffin. Little Ragamuffin, oh, okay. if you don't know, is the William Wallace of the sewing world, or as somebody called her last week, she's the uh, William B. Travis is the Little Ragamuffin of the Alamo. <laughs> um, she says, "I'm good." with any time period where we have running water and indoor toilets. Mm. I'm the same. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I you, do like, air I do like modern surgery air and cancer treatment. Air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't forget there's advantages to modern. Yes. Pirate Tomsky says, remember back in the day when we thought the internet would bring information to the masses in the free world, how naive we were. Well, it has brought information to the masses. Yeah. It has. It's about? just that, now we're in an age I, I know what he's saying you know is what we're talking about we're in an age where mm-hmm. information is now being well, t- taken it was down it was a utopian hope in the 90s for the internet uh, and uh yeah. you know john P- perry barlow and uh, you know the grateful dead writer but also an internet activist you know they thought it would be like this open act you know this open oh commons was the phrase generally used and it would be you know peer-to-peer interaction and would you know get rid of you know discrimination because you wouldn't you know be judging people based on you know phenotypical characteristics and so forth and so on so there was a real idealism at at the outset Mm -hmm. and and that has uh you know it's at first remember they used to say then it was like the um the internet was the um uh, what was the highway image? I don't know. So, and then it went into a toll road, and now we're finding out the information super information super highway. Then it became a toll road, and now what is it? It's a, uh, you know, in some sense, there's it's a road to the gulag for some people. Yeah, but it, uh, it's an amusement park that you can never leave. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> I don't know. I I think it's. Ju- I mean, it's controlled. It sounds more. trite, but it just it's. It's Pleasure just kind Island. of 
reflects society. Like it, it is. There's there's parts of the internet where you can have unfettered conversation. There's parts where you can't. There's stuff you can use and stuff. You, it's kind of just reflective of, which is inevitable. It's reflective of who we are. It's still well, better than when Walter Duranty was where we got our news from the Soviet Union. Like, it's still yeah. better than that, right? Yeah, but there there is a propensity for um, more uh, manufacturing of consent based on the fact that you have this kind of monopolization. So we shouldn't totally dismiss the the uh, the writers' uh, concerns. I think they're real. Right. And uh, I would also add about about Durante and the old and the old days. Um, you know, in the old days, the New York Times was certainly not alone in its, um, you know, in, in its influence on the news. Um, in, the, in those old days, you had, uh, you had many newspapers. And you had many newspapers coming out in the same city. I mean, a city would have several um, afternoon editions, morning editions, night editions, um, and, and several papers that were, you know, coming out in a kind of staggered way. And there was a lot mm. of competition, in fact. And yep. and people used to, you know, it was uh, it was before the age of the um, of the kind of bullshit pretense of objectivity that happened. You picked up mm. one paper, you know, you picked up the Telegraph. You knew what you were getting. You picked. Mm. I mean, that's why a lot of these newspapers around the country were named Democrat or whatever. You knew this was their party line. This is what they're going to do. In the same way that during those those you know those uh you know those old days uh people would read the daily worker like they read the daily worker the daily worker was just another newspaper but come from coming from a communist perspective yeah so like there was there was you know a little bit of variety i mean it wasn't as 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 uh you know as uh as as huge as as it is now but there you know there was variety it's it wasn't it's simply the new york times um but then again, also, people had to work harder for it. It's kind of like what happened with music, isn't it? And the, yeah. With the digital sphere, it allowed more people to enter into the sphere because, you know, you have, I mean, how many kids, how many kids at 30 years old do you know that don't make music, right? Uh, they all are making music. That's what they do. I've met more, you know, singer-songwriters than ever existed in the 70s. Everybody's allowed in i mean there's there's an entry fee that is much lower but on the other hand at the same time this is a bit of a paradox there's consolidation at the top so it's just a very peculiar situation right it, it's a it's it's more of a pareto distribution um as as peterson would say and also look i mean it's, it's really funny now you've got now you've got billions of streams of you know spotify and title and all these uh, apple music you know, billions of people streaming billions of songs at all times, and guess what? It's, you know, it's it's um, it's it's still whatever the 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 you know ninety percent of or or more of those streams go to the same crap music. Yeah. Yeah, but they're ma but they're, I think they're making a lot more money. Maybe I'm wrong. My my instinct is just they're making a lot more money off of the quantity of people who are uploading now as well. There's one guy I just discovered 
he, he's got like thousands of songs on Spotify and all he does is sing different words. Like you can look up your name, David, and he'll have a song that's like, David, David, David. And it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. People, he has lots of downloads of well, whatever. Do, do you remember that? Do you remember? I, I, them out like that. <laughs> do you remember the birthday songs? You used to be able to buy a, 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 a 45 or a tape. And I used to have this. I've got, you know, David, it's your birthday, blah, blah, blah. And my, my parents, I, I, I'm, I'm, pretty <laughs> sure was, I'm pretty sure it was a 45. And they've got, they've got every name you can come up with. You know, they, they did. And actually, <laughs> it, this was the 70s. So they probably only had like, you know, 30 names or whatever it was. But, um, uh, you know, now it's like, you know, things you can't even imagine. So you'd have to take requests. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, look, that's not a bad business. Yeah, there's lots of people like him putting up a song a day. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Um, okay. Super Iron Bob says to, retention. Just so you know, Carter, in case you didn't see my message, I have to wrap up and I'm sorry, I have a heart out today in like five minutes. I do. Right, too. I just want to finish super chats. Okay. So if if okay. should we wrap up and then I'll just finish super chats? Like if you if you have any final stuff before you you guys leave and anyone yeah. who wants to stick around can stick around and we'll do super chats. Well, why don't you guys remind everyone where they can find you again online when you're not banned? <coughs> well, my, my main website is michaelrechtenwald.com. That's where you'll see all of my essays, my books, uh, media coverage, and uh, basically everything Michael Rechtenwald. And that's no K, no H. And uh, people that are on the left that are idiots always make fun of my name. Uh, I don't give a shit. Uh, but it's michaelrechtenwald.com and then uh, the anti-PC prof on Twitter and Michael Rechtenwald on Facebook, although I'm banned for 30 days on Facebook now wow. for summarizing a novel. Yeah. And David? Well, you can go to Dave Raboy, D-A-V-E-R-E-A-B-O-I on Twitter, and then you can link to my website. I'm also at the same um, at the same. Uh, URL for for my website, and then you can go from there very easily to find my Substack called the Late Republic Nonsense. I like the name a Thank lot. You. Yeah, yeah. Um, we All also right. just a just a reminder: we've got our retreat coming up in August. You can find out info on unsafespace.com, and also we have book club on the fifteenth. If you guys want to join, it's free to join and participate. You guys are an institution. <laughs> we're trying right. yeah <laughs> trying is good yeah we're trying it is. we're All still right. plagued with tech problems but fortunately today pulled it off without a hitch no, we're okay we're okay i yeah. am gonna read some more super chats though so okay. uh if you need to drop out carrie that's cool or if anyone else needs to drop out that's cool but i'm, I'm gonna minutes. keep going super iron bob says retention is better with physical screens don't integrate as well with our biology for pleasure screens are okay learning physical is better i think talking about books mm -hmm. correct that's that's what the studies say there's more memory retention and more retention with uh physical books that's true uh, i agree with that there's that's indubitable okay um tarmanel says salutations for one token disbeliever and one sarcasm blind person j gj i don't know what that is paper books forever uh, touching to paper will not bore me. In addition, it's much harder to retouch analog book than digital. Yes. 
it is harder to muck with analog books. Fire Tomsky says, uh, "Oh, they and, were saying oh, we that you're." That one. We already did that. I see. I get that. Sorry, hey, guys, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I hate to do this to you, but I need to run. That's, That's fine. That's cool. David, thank you for thank you. Great meeting you, and uh, and and we'll see you uh, see you online. Take yes. Care. Bye. Thanks, take David. Care. I'll stay a few more minutes. I don't want to be all right. That's good. Maybe there'll be some super chats that you can uh, yeah you, that'll be addressed to you or that you can school them on. Let's see what we got coming up. Uh, Why bother? Tom, says oh, oh god, got I got one. Why bother? Says I started to identify as transvax recently. Yes, mm -hmm. I think this is something everyone should do. Transvax, <laughs> yeah. And uh, because uh, they they've now said that uh, gender is so fluid that you can. You can be a cis woman who identifies as a trans woman who identifies as cis or something. Like yeah. you can be a trans cis. And you get back to who you are. That yeah, way. you get back to who you are. So yeah. even if you're vac actually vaccinated, you can still identify as trans vax. Yes. I, that that. I identify as unvaccinated, but <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm not vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tarmanel says memes are not necessarily political. For example, game or book memes. If we have a meme about bugged games from Bethesda, it's not political unless we define that any attitude reflects politics. That's true, but a lot of memes are political. Um, Matt Deckard says he mentioned Michael Anton. Did he mean author, speechwriter Anton? I went to London with him. I think David addressed that. Um, Freddie Last gives us a sticker. Thank you, Freddie. Pirate Tomsky says, I think Elon thinks a lot about the good nature of people and how tech can benefit that, but he largely ignores the bad side of that same nature. Might be true. There's some maybe some naivete there. I don't know. Um, Matt Deckard says, you should have Michael Anton again. I know him because tailoring and politics go hand in glove. And I think the last super chat we have is from Jay Nash, who says, geniuses of old did what they did not just for truth, Mozart, Einstein, Beethoven, etc. They did what they did for escapism from the brutal world. Hmm. I don't know if that's always true. Hmm. What do you What do you think about that? Um. Don't we all though? I mean, genius or not, don't we all use that to carve out some other alternate space for ourselves? Right. I mean, I think that's what creativity is, is to try to create a different world in some sense, to some degree. But is that escapism? Because it's not, not necessarily. Like no, I think it's yeah, okay. it can be it's not necessarily escapism. It's uh, in the sense that it can be productive of other, you know, mental scapes, not necessarily escape, but just a different landscape that you're trying to produce, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that makes sense. I don't. I, I do think art can be escapist. Although I actually don't know how much production of art is escapist, as consum consumption can be very escapist. Yeah. But consumption because consumption will give you that dopamine rush, but production is serotonin based, and it's not the same thing. You don't get escapist right. feelings from be doing something productive. No, think. it's not escape. It's it's work. Now you do, you know, like I wrote books that I that I was putting a lot of things out of my mind. You know, after all, I wrote for 12, 15 hours a day sometimes. 
And yeah. so I had to ignore a lot of stuff. Is that escape or is that just like, what is that? I don't know that it's escaping. It, it is, it is, it takes discipline to ignore other tough focus. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're going to, if you're going to let that be escapism, then you basically would call anything that's intellectual. That's not sensual. Escapism. Any engagement would be escape escapism. Even writing code would be escapism. I mean, in a way, when you do anything, you're escaping other things, you know? Right. Yeah, but I think that dilutes the definition of escapism enough. Yes, definitely. Worth worth even doing. All right, so I think we're caught up on Super Chats. Um, I think we can call it a show. Carrie's got to leave. It's been a couple hours. Go. Yeah. Michael, um, I really appreciate you coming on and getting oh, my pleasure. finally. And it's so funny. I kept missing every episode you were on. And then uh, recently... Just your writing and your insights online. Everybody should follow you online. I think you're you're one of my favorite follows lately because your eyes are wide open, but you also have hope and you yeah. have faith. And yes. um, and it just I I find your posts very, um, but they're illuminating. And sometimes there's black pill, what people call black pill, but they're also you also have white pills in there. Yeah. So. Thank anyway, you so much. I appreciate what you do online. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. It's wonderful. As always, it was great to talk to you. Um, remind people where to follow you because, yeah, your stuff is awesome to read. MichaelRectonwald.com and then the Anti-PC Prof on Twitter. Michael Rectonwald on Facebook, but you'll see that I'm going to be quiet for 29 more days. Wow. Yeah. Because you can't summarize fiction book. books. That's a sign of our times. All right. Well, thank you very much. Have a good uh, rest of the day. And you we'll too. see everyone else on when? Monday. We don't have anything this weekend. Monday. Today, we? Yeah. No. Take care, guys. Monday. Have a good weekend. All Unplug. Right. Listen to a record. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. Well, mostly. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to its thinky talk. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and will be recycled as part of our sustainability program. Here's a fun fact, there is literally no downside to unreserved obedience. We are not violent. But I would like to remind you that we have nukes and F-15s. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance.
science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.